Hello and welcome to the Week 9 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. We have a packed show this week. In the second quarter, Damian Woody, ESPN analyst and former NFL offensive lineman, will join us. And we're going to dive into the Jets' offensive line problems and other issues Talk about Adam Gase and everything that's going on with the Jets. And Damian is always honest, always insightful, and I think that'll be a good spot. In the third quarter, we'll do the Twitter mailbag. Fourth quarter, we have two. But for now, we have to talk about everything that happened and didn't happen on deadline Tuesday, the trading deadline to me. And I wrote this in a story. It was like a Seinfeld episode. Nothing happened, but it was really entertaining. And, of course, the big story coming out of it is Jamal Adams did not get traded. The Jets talked with the Cowboys. The talks were serious. The Cowboys offered a first-round pick. I believe the NFL Network reported the Jets were looking for a one and a couple of twos. And Jamal is not happy. He's pissed off because he says he went to the Jets a week ago and said, I don't want to be traded. And then he hears his name getting bandied about in these trade talks, and he goes to Twitter, and he takes a shot at Joe Douglas, saying the Jets GM went behind his back by shopping him around the league. Uh, I thought that was a poor play by Adams. If he felt that way, he should have gone to Douglas to try to clarify the situation. Instead, he says his agent told him that he was shopped around the league, so he goes to a public forum on social media, and takes a shot at the Jets GM. And to me, he might say he wants to be here, but Jamal Adams is not acting like he wants to be a Jet. I was told on Sunday in Jacksonville, he was venting his frustration in the locker room to teammates. Afterwards, when we talked to him, reporters, he was very down and, you know, almost distraught by the losing. But he... Mark my words, he was fired up in that locker room before we got in there. And I think he's fed up with the losing. I think what will happen is he's going to put on a good face publicly and say he'll play hard. Behind the scenes, he'll probably be pouting. And come the offseason, he's going to demand a new contract and he's going to want to be traded. And I think before the the draft next year, the Jets will end up trading Jamal Adams. They'll get a one and a two or a one and a three, and they'll use that to add to their draft capital and start the rebuilding process over again. Um, he's their number one asset, and he's a really good player, and you'd like to keep players like that, but if he's pouting and he's whining and he's bringing down everybody and adding to the to the culture of losing, then you might have to consider moving him. And it's ironic because when the Jets drafted Adams, he was supposed to be a culture changer for the positive If he contributes to the culture in a negative way, then I think it would be incumbent upon the Jets to look into moving him. So they have a Jamal Adams problem on their hands. They also listen to offers for Le'Veon Bell. I do not believe anything got close to to be happening. Also listen to offers for Robbie Anderson. They, They got an offer from a four from, I think, Green Bay. They were looking for a two, so nothing happens. I think they'll just lose Robbie as a free agent next offseason. They did make one trade, though, on Monday. They moved Leonard Williams to the Giants of all places. Uh, you know, not the kind of move you want to make, trading away a guy who was the sixth pick in the 2015 draft, but I think it had to be done for football and economic reasons. The compensation was fair. They got a three and a conditional five, 
which is exactly what the Jaguars got last year for Dante Fowler. We know it can go up to a four if the Giants sign Williams to an extension before the league year starts in March. Um, so, you know, I thought it was a fair trade from the compensation standpoint. So the Jets are going to go into free agency with about $60 million in cap room. They'll have, uh, you know, seven picks right now, and they have, they'll have two high third round picks, theirs and the Giants, who are certainly going to be picking high. So you got four picks, maybe in the top 70. It's a start. They can get some offensive linemen. I think they're okay at defensive line. They have young players in Quinn and Williams. They got Henry Anderson under contract for a couple of more years. This Kyle Phillips rookie, undrafted, he's promising. I think they feel really good about him. They have Steve McClendon as the old veteran warhorse. Uh, look, Leonard is going to get about $12 million on the open market, even though he doesn't sack the quarterback. He's a good run stuffer. He's only going to be 26 next year. And I just don't think the Jets wanted to spend that kind of money. Uh, you can get a player like that for $8 million a year. You don't have to extend for 12 or $13 million a year. So I actually think that's a good trade for the Jets. Um, if they had uh, kept him, they would have lost him as a free agent anyway. So I kind of like that move. I thought it was a sound move, certainly not a surprising move. He's a well-liked guy in the locker room. But you saw this coming as soon as they drafted Quinn and Williams. Uh, Leonard, only 17 career sacks. He does draw double teams, 117 double teams this year on passing downs, which is tied for seventh most in the league. But again, doesn't put the quarterback down. And that's really where you have to save your money for. The big money goes to the guys who can sack the quarterback. So that was a, a fiscally smart move for the Jets. And this week they have the Dolphins. That'll be a fascinating game because, man, oh, man, if the Jets lose to Adam Gase's former team. Wow, that will be ugly. And that is the end of the first quarter. Our special guest this week in the second quarter is former Jets offensive lineman and current ESPN analyst and a good friend, Damian Woody. Damian, thanks for joining us. No problem, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing great. Great. I always remember, always loved covering, covering Damian when he was on those great offensive lines in, uh, 08, 09, and 10. Man, those, that was an offensive line. The one now, not so much. So I wanted to start there, Damian. You're an expert on offensive lines. What do you see from this Jet offensive line, which just seems to be struggling on a week to week basis? Yeah, Rich, it's, uh, I think it's a combination of things when you talk about the Jets. Offensive line. Number one, I think there's a um, there's a talent gap that that we're clearly seeing with the Jets, um, and that's that's you know a big part of that is due to the neglect by the former regime in addressing the offensive line. Um, so that's number one, and then number two is you know when you when you have when you're putting together kind of patchwork offensive line, you know, and guys aren't able to you know practice together, you know, whether it be OTAs or training camp. It just takes a long time for guys to come together, and we know that with the Jets, it's been a situation where, you know, they traded for Alex Lewis from Baltimore. You know, they signed Ryan Khalil um, out of retirement during training camp. So you have a bunch of moving parts um, with the New York Jets offensive line, and that's never ideal heading into a season. Yeah, it's almost like the perfect storm is uh is going on right now and and you make a great point because they haven't drafted I think they've drafted two offensive linemen in the third or higher rounds in the last 9 or 10 years 
and it's been Brian Winters and and going way back Vlad Dukas, you know, <laughs> and that's just not good enough, you know, and yeah. and it's coming back to bite him now, I think. Yeah, that that's I mean that's criminal. That's criminal, Rich. It's um, you know, you're talking about a league where you know as much as we talk about the weapons on the outside and and you know the quarterback position and all those type of things. It's still a simple game. The game is still won in the trenches. And when you watch the teams that are playing for championships at the end of the year, nine times out of ten, those are the teams that have some of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. And, you know, if I'm the Jets, that's that's where it has to start. It has to start in the trenches to get this thing turned around. Now, I'm just bringing the layman's perspective here just from covering it, but you know a heck of a lot more about it than I do, but – the it just seems like I wonder about the coaching because it just seems like guys aren't sliding in the right direction. It looks like they're giving up free runners. There just seems to be some confusion up front. What's your take on that? Well, I think I think you're absolutely right there, Rich. There's a couple things going on. Going on. Number one, you know, going back to my playing days, I had uh, uh, offensive line coach Bill Callahan. Uh, who was one of the best offensive line coaches, in my opinion, in the National Football League. And one of the things he used to preach all the time was no negative plays. And when you watch the Jets, um, the Jets uh, offensive line, when they're blocking for Le'Veon Bell, whoever the running back is, it just seems like these guys are just fighting to get back to the line of scrimmage. A lot of times these guys are second and 11, second and 12. Now you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. So that's one thing that I'm seeing. And then another thing, it's just, you know, just from a technique perspective, you know, watching the Jets up front, it, it, it's just not clean. Um, some of the some of the most simplistic principles um, that you that you're accustomed to seeing from an offensive line standpoint, I'm just not seeing it at all from a from a week to week standpoint, and it doesn't look like it's improving, which is that's the most startling aspect of this whole situation. So. Uh, between communication, lack of communication between quarterback, center, and the offensive line, and just lack of uh, fundamentals in uh, how guys go about doing their jobs, it is really startling to see where the Jets' offensive line is at this point. Yeah, I tweeted this uh, little factoid after the game. Uh, you might get a kick out of this. The, the, uh, the 19, this year's Jets and the 1991 Colts are the only teams since the 1970 merger that have fewer than 450 rushing yards and at least 200 sack yards lost through the first seven games of the season. And by the way, those 91 Colts went 1-15. How does that grab you? It is, you know, honestly, Rich, it's, it's, um, it's sad, you know, being a former offensive lineman, you know, I take pride in, in watching good offensive line play and, and to watch my former team perform that way week in and week out. It, it honestly it really hurts me because I, I never want to see – it just seemed like Sam Donald is running for his life back there. Le'Veon Bell is doing the same in the backfield. And, um, you know, but this is what happens when you neglect one of the most important positions on the team for years and years. This is, this is where we're at right now. Yeah, and I think sad is a good word with regard to Darnold because I still think he has a high ceiling. I think he has a lot of potential as a quarterback in this league. But I see the last two weeks of a quarterback who has regressed because he'd been under so much pressure. What have, what's been your take on Darnold the last couple of games? 
Well, I think I think you're absolutely right there. Here's what I see from from Sam Darnold. He was a guy that come into league. Um, you know, he had all the he had all the tools. I, the one aspect that a lot of people talked about was obviously the turnovers, and sometimes his mechanic and mechanics and and specifically talking about his footwork. Now it seemed like last year there was progress being made as far as his mechanics and footwork and. And it really bear, it really bared out as far as uh, the last four games of the season where he was among the league leaders as far as QBR is concerned. He was really playing really good football. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like this year, fast forward to 2019, that those same mechanics, those same footwork, same footwork has regressed. Um, a lot of it, I don't know whether it's due to coaching, but a lot of it has to do with um, just free rushes coming from everywhere in the offensive line instead of being able to focus on what's going on down the field, you know, with a young quarterback, now you start to become gun shy and you start worrying about the rush. And that's the quickest way to um, to stunt the development of a young quarterback is having him gun shy and worrying about the pass rush. Wow, that is that is a sobering but very true uh, synopsis of the situation. You, you make a point here. I, I wanted to ask you about Adam Gase. What do you? What kind of job do you think he's been doing so far? Well, I mean, considering if you think about where the Jets were last year as opposed to right now, I think it's it's a it's a, you know we have to give Adam Gates an F. And I know everyone wants to talk about Luke Falk being the, you know coming in while Sam was uh, had uh, had mono, but I mean, listen, the Jets fan base was sold on a bill of goods that that Adam Gates was the quarterback whisperer, was the offensive guru, and the Jets right now as a team are worse than what they were last year under Todd Bowles. Statistically, offensively, they're at the bottom of the league in almost every statistical category. The quarter, Their young quarterback is regressing. They don't know how to utilize one of the premier running backs in the league and Le'Veon Bell. Um, so, listen, like I said, right now I have to give Adam Gates an F. And, and moving forward, if this thing doesn't get turned around real quick, I mean, he could he could easily lose his locker room. Mm. Now, that's a good uh, segue into my next question. So you've played on mostly good teams in your career. Um, you won a Super Bowl with the Patriots, and you were on some really good teams with the Jets. But I think, uh, I don't know offhand, but in Detroit, I'm not sure how that year went. But So you've been in a losing situation. Like, if you put yourself in the Jet locker room right now, what are those players thinking? You, is is hopelessness. I've been there, Rich. I've been there where you're out of the playoff race before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where the Jets are right now. They're basically in a situation where they're out of it. They're out of it before it even really heats up um, for, for a lot of teams around the National Football League. And it's just a really bad place to be where you feel like as much as you try to do as far as an individual player, that nothing is helping uh, the bigger cause, you know, guys like Jamal Adams and, you know, these younger players, uh, Marcus May and, and, you know, uh, Sam Donald, you know, this is, uh, this, this, this is a contentious time, uh, in that locker room, especially for these young guys, because, you know, these guys are used to, are used to winning and, you know, now they're in a perpetual losing culture here with, with the Jets, with their second head coach. And uh, nothing has changed. So this is um, 
this is a very important uh, time with, uh, for the Jets organization right now. Yeah, Gase, I agree with you. I mean, if one more loss, I mean, he could lose this locker room. I mean, that would not bode well for him. I mean, think about this, think about this, Rich. The, the Jets have the Miami Dolphins uh, coming up, coming up, right? And you know, a lot of people question whether the Dolphins are tanking. Well, you know, whether you agree with that is one thing. But could you imagine if the Jets lose to the Dolphins, who who most people consider like the laughing stock of the league? If the Jets lose to the Miami Dolphins, imagine what the guys in the locker, how the guys in the locker room are going to feel. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it truly is. It, it, it's it's truly embarrassing, and I think that's why I say that the Jets, this this locker room is 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 on a slippery slope right now. Um, that Adam Gay should be worried about. Yeah, I agree about the Miami, and I think Miami could win this game. They've been getting closer each week. You know, they've been oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, you watch, you watch the Pittsburgh Steelers game, the, the Monday night game. You know, from last night, and, and um, listen, they they you know they gave them a fight. You know, obviously they. Pittsburgh, you know, made more plays in the end to win the football game, but by no means is this going to be an easy game for the Jets. And listen, I know a lot of people talked about, you know, whether the Jets is entering the soft part of their schedule. Well, who are the Jets to talk about a soft part of the schedule? The same, those same teams are going to look at the Jets the same way. So they're going to be in a battle the rest of the way forward. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, and the, Miami's front office is tanking, I think, but the players are not. The players and the coaches are out there busting their butts trying to win a football game. And you know, Fitzy, there is nothing he'd like better than to, uh, than to shock the Jets and, and, and get the first win for Miami over his former team. Ooh, that would, that would be painful for Jets ownership. Oh, at, at, listen, absolutely. And we, and one thing we know about Ryan Fitzpatrick is he's one of the, one of the most streakiest players in the league, so if you you know you you catch a, a hot uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick this week, it could be it could spell bad news for the Jets. Yeah, you know uh, one thing I, I think fans I'm not sure know about you, Damian, but in your high school, your glory high school days in Virginia, you actually played against Joe Douglas, and uh, I know you've had a chance to talk to him about that. I'm wondering if you could take me back to that. Did you guys know each other at all at the time, or what do you recall about Joe? Because Joe is obviously a guy on, on, you know, the spotlight's on him now. He's got to try to make this team better. What are your recollections of Joe Douglas from back in the day? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Joe and I, we knew each other. Joe Joe was a heck of an offensive lineman. Um, he played He played for our rival, high, you know, played for our rival high school in Lee Davis, and, and uh, we, had some, we had some battles with back and forth with, with – Against Joe Douglas, and um, you know he was a heck of a player. He obviously went on to um, have a really good career at University of Richmond, and and he uh, worked his way on up the chain, and, and now he's the general manager. So, listen, I, I am um, I'm glad that a guy that's from back home is, is you know landed a job as a GM of the of the Jets, and I think Joe Douglas is um, with all his connections and, and being a part of building some really good strong football teams. He'll prioritize what the Jets really need. And, and like I alluded to earlier, the offensive line. Everything starts there, and I think that's where Joe Douglas is going to focus moving forward. I think they should copy what the Colts did. I mean, for years the Colts neglected that offensive line, and you saw what happened to Andrew Luck. But then just the last couple of years, you know, they've, you know, Chris Ballard, the GM, who I think is fantastic. You know, they got Quentin Nelson, who's just an absolute monster at guard. And now look at their line now. I mean, it's so much better. I, I think that should be what the Jets copy, copycat the Colts. Well, well, absolutely. And if you look at it, if you look at the 
couple things. Number one, you look at the Colts, the fact that Andrew Luck left and Jacoby Brissett came in, and look at how Jacoby Brissett is performing. That shows that that gives you got to give a lot of credit to not only you know Chris Ballard, the GM, but Frank Wright, the head coach, because they built the team as such as they could withstand Andrew Luck retiring, and the Colts are still in the hunt uh, in the AFC. So that's just that's what you call a good football structure within an organization. And I also want to also go back to. Um, you know, go back to, you know, back in the day with the Jets and was it, I think it was 2006, right. you know, when, when Mangini first came, he first came with the Jets. What was the very first thing? His very first draft, he had two number one picks. What did he do? Pick two offensive linemen. That actually set the tempo, set the tone right. for, for the Jets moving forward to their, their, their most, you know, prosperous time um, in recent memory. Oh, nine and ten. Uh, but yeah, exactly. By them going out there in that in that first draft, I believe they picked the Brickershaw Ferguson, Nick Mangold, David Harris. Then followed up with with Darrell Revis. That set the tone for the rest of, rest of the organization. So that you know, moving forward, that's I think that's what the Jet fan base is expecting of Joe Douglas is, is really getting this thing back on track. And then they uh, signed a uh, Damian Woody, and they had Brandon yeah, Moore. Were, they developed exactly Brandon Moore, and they signed Alan Fatica. And that line was the best line that I've ever covered. That that was one heck of an offensive line. Exactly, you know, and that's what that's what, what you know when you have a plan and it all comes together. You know, good things tend to happen for you. But you know, it started with the draft, and then obviously, you know, Eric Mangini and Mike Tannenbaum supplemented the draft with. Key free agents, like you said, myself, Alan Fanica, Tony Richardson. I mean, the list goes on and on, and then all of a sudden, just oh, we just turn into you know winners. Yeah. So you know, listen, you got to have a plan, and hopefully, uh, with, with the Jets moving forward and Joe Douglas and company, those guys execute the plan and get this thing back on track. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting few weeks, and Sunday will be very, very telling in Miami just to see if this team, how hard they're playing for their coach because their coach is facing his former team, the team that just fired him, you know, uh, what, nine months ago. And so you know Gase wants this game for sure. Oh, absolutely. He, You know, he there, there's nothing that he would want more than go down to Miami and get the win. But, again, you're talking about Miami, you know, Miami team that's gotten better and better every week. Now, and although they don't have a win to show for it, those guys are fighting for their head coach. Let's see what this what this Jets team will do, um, you know, against the Miami Dolphins. All right. Well, this is great stuff, Damian. I really appreciate it. I, I want the listeners to know one thing about Damian Woody. When Damian played for the Jets, and I was covering the Jets back then, Damian was one of those guys, win or lose, he was always in front of his locker every day of the week, always willing to talk to the media, and did a great job with it. I am not surprised one bit that you're having all this success after football in the media. I think you do a great job on ESPN, and I am not shocked at all. And just a a very belated thank you for being such a stand-up guy back in the day. Well, Rich, you know, I I listen, first and foremost, I greatly appreciate uh, what you just said. But uh, the one thing I I want everyone to understand, I always felt like, you know, number one, it was part of the job to talk to the media. The, The media, it was was our way of relaying our message to the fans. So I felt it was an obligation that it was my responsibility as a player to do that. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I took pride in that. Like you said, whether win or, win or lose, the fans want to hear from the players. And uh, that, that was part of my job description. So, you know, again, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate talking to guys like yourself and others in the business. Uh, that's cool. Uh, great to have you on, Damian. Great insights on the Jets' O-line issues. We'll see if they can get it figured out. Thanks, uh, buddy, and really appreciate it, and we'll see you down the road. All right. Thanks a lot, Rich. Take care. And welcome to the third quarter, our Twitter mailbag of Flight Deck. Let's get right to it. A lot of trade-related stuff, looking ahead stuff, uh, no Dolphin stuff. Sorry about that. We're going to put that game on hold. But let's start with at Matt Romano 19. Why is there so much speculation about Robbie Anderson? Of course, Robbie did not get traded. I think Matt is wondering why, you know, a player with his upside would come up in trade talks. Uh, number one, his contract is up after the season, Matt. And he will be an unrestricted free agent. And I think the Jets are hesitant to invest long-term in Robbie as much as they're hoping for him to become an all-around receiver. I think they still see him as a one-dimensional guy. Uh, there are times where his route running still is a little sloppy. At times, he frustrates people in the organization. He doesn't fight for 50-50 balls. And there's also, you know, some off-the-field baggage. I know he's been a solid citizen for the last year or so, but before that, there were some concerning issues. And so that's why Robbie was uh, coming up in trade talks. Next question from at Mike underscore Espo 25. Looking ahead to the first round of the draft, would the Jets go with the best offensive lineman or Chase Young at defensive end? Which one should the Jets take? Chase Young, of course, from Ohio State who is an outstanding pass rusher, is being compared to some of the best pass rushers to come out in recent years. Um, uh, Mike, it's really hard to project at this point what they would do. I mean, they obviously have a bigger need on the offensive line. But Chase Young, from the people I talk to, is a generational-type talent, and he would be the edge rusher that the Jets have been coveting for for so long. So I, I would be inclined to go with Chase Young in that spot. Next question from at Mogefs, M-O-G-E-F-F-S. This is regarding the Leonard Williams trade. He goes, I think the thing that most people are overlooking is that there's a good chance the Jets um, wouldn't wind up with a compensatory pick for Leo if they kept him because the way things are trending, they might end up actually being active in free agency. Uh, Thoughts on that? Uh, Yes, that is true. Uh, just because you let a guy go in free agency and he signs a big contract elsewhere doesn't guarantee you a compensatory pick. It's a very complicated formula, and a lot of it is based on players that you sign in free agency. And yes, I do think the Jets will be active again, so there's a chance they would be canceled out with Leonard and a chance that they would not get a comp pick for Leonard. So that is a really good point to bring up. Uh, the next question comes from at sports underscore FI3ND. How serious a concern is it within the Jets organization that Sam Darnold seems to be regressing? What can be done to rectify this situation before his confidence continues to, to diminish? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's a concern right now, sports. I think that yes, he has regressed the last two games. And I think it it all has to do with his lack of pass protection. I mean, the guy is getting pressured and hit like 15 times a game. 
I don't care who you are, what quarterback you are, young or old, that's going to affect you after a while. You don't want to get a quarterback who's gun shy. You don't want to get up, get a quarterback that turns into a David Carr, you know, the old Houston Texans draft pick who basically became a pinata as a rookie and never recovered from that. So I don't think it's a concern. I think they just need to call plays to get him the ball, like easy completions, just to get the ball out quickly, three-step drops, screen passes, bubble screens, that type of stuff, uh, just to get the ball out of his hands quickly and, and yes, get better blockers in the future. Next question comes from at Joe Brow VM. When Chris Herndon returns, does Trevon Wesco stick? Does the emergence of Ryan Griffin make Wesco's spot vulnerable? Uh, you know, Herndon is on the roster right now. So he is counting on the 53, even though he hasn't been playing because of the hamstring injury. So I don't think they'd be compelled to make a move at tight end. Um, you know, they, they have four. If they do make a move, I think the guy who, who would go would be Daniel Brown, who really doesn't contribute on offense and has a limited role on special teams. I think Brown would be the odd man out. I think they would keep Wesco. And, uh, but again, they could keep all four. They're going to have to make a move this week. Nathan Shepard, defensive ends coming back from his suspension. If they want to keep him, they have to drop someone else. Uh, next com- question comes from at Dave's Fia 2-1. I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. And this came up in a number of questions among Jet fans. I think it's the hot issue right now. So we'll end the third quarter on this one. Is there any scenario where Adam Gase is one and done. Oh boy. I don't think that's going to happen. I'd say the chances of that happening right now, and right now they're one in six, I think it's about a 10% chance. Uh, if they go one in 15, you know, could it happen? Then yes, I think something like that could happen because that would mean Sam Darnold is regressing and not getting better. And really, that is the number one charge for Adam Gase is to turn Sam Darnold into a really good quarterback. And if that's not happening, that will be the most damning indictment to me, more so than the one lost record. Uh, Christopher Johnson does not want to fire Gase after one year. Joe Douglas, who does not have the power to fire Adam Gase, I don't think wants him around. I mean, he wants him around because he probably feels indebted to Adam. Adam got him this job. So the ownership doesn't want to be paying three head coaches next year. They're still paying Todd Bowles. They'd be paying Adam Gase and they'd be paying a new head coach. Uh, Don't think they want to do that. I think it would have to be uh, just a really bad ending by Darnold. It would have to be one or two wins or three and it would have to be a locker room mutiny. If that happens, you know, that would be the perfect storm that could result in a one and done. But right now, I wouldn't say it's off the table. I would just say it's really slim at this point. And that is the end of the third quarter. I just want to use this time to talk about a very painful subject for Jet fans. You know, this Leonard Williams thing, trading him, sixth pick in the 2015 draft, it just it just really hammered home a point that I think we all know, but sometimes it needs to be illustrated. The Jets stink at drafting. I mean, my God, look, look at this. I mean, I'm going to work backwards from 2016, their first round picks. Darren Lee traded. Leonard Williams traded. 
Calvin Pryor, traded. D. Milner, cut, out of the league. Sheldon Richardson, traded. Quinton Copels, cut, out of the league. Muhammad Wilkerson, cut, out of the league. Kyle Wilson, cut, out of the league. I mean, good Lord, these are all first-round picks. Now, I will say in Wilkerson's case, he's the only one in that group who actually earned a second contract for the Jets. Really, that's the goal when you draft a guy. Draft a guy, develop him, he gets good, he gets better, rather, and you give him a second contract, and he gets even better, and that's how you build a team. Not by going out and spending $15 million a year on free agents, by drafting good players, developing them, and signing them to second contracts. In some cases, third contracts, if they're really good. Out of that entire group, I just mentioned Mo Wilkerson is the only one who got a second contract, and we know how that turned out. It was a disaster because he basically stopped playing and he got cut. And of all the guys who got traded, the only trade that brought anything back worthwhile was the Sheldon Richardson trade with Seattle. They got a second-round pick for him, which they turned around a few months later and used it to get Sam Darnold in the trade-up scenario with Indianapolis. So that's not exactly parlaying your assets into better assets. Really, it's just cutting bait on bad picks. And this is not one GM. This is not two GMs. This is three, Tannenbaum, Itzik, McCagnin, and now Joe Douglas gets his shot next year for the first time. Uh, Joe Douglas, the nation, not the nation, the Jet fan base turns its lonely eyes to you because he's their only hope to turn this around. The Jets, if you can't pick a guy in the first round, when can you get a guy? And the Jets, those are high first-round picks. And now if they trade Jamal Adams, we can add another name to that list. When will they ever turn this around? When will they ever get a guy who can look at a player and say, this is someone I like who can develop in our system, instead of looking at a guy and, and seeing Christian Hackenberg? I mean, come on. Joe Douglas, you're the man. You got to get this done. He's got a few months before he, him and his scouts have to sit down in the draft room and figure this out. But let me tell you, the Jets are never going to get good. They're never going to win a championship unless they can solve these drafting problems, which have been really going on for decades and decades. It's not just the last few GMs. It's been going on forever. You look at their recent draft picks, and I know as Jet fans, you guys are frustrated, and I don't blame you. It makes you want to pull your hair out. Even when you get a good pick, something goes wrong. A Jonathan Vilma, you trade him. A Darrell Rebus, you trade him because there's a, a divorce, and now they're heading for divorce with Jamal Adams, and they're going to end up trading him in March or April. It's just this constant cycle, and you wonder if it's ever going to end. Joe Douglas... You have to be the man to end it. I want to say thanks to Damian Woody for joining me in the second quarter. Really appreciated his take on the Jets situation. Also, I want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting this all together. And my good buddy, RJ, who really helped out this week as well. We'll be back next week. It'll be fun next week, Jets-Giants week, a battle well, it, I don't know if the word battle actually comes to mind here. It'll be just a, a, a game between two desperate teams, but I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. In the meantime, when in doubt, 
Don't punt. Go for it.